We're in 1 Peter chapter 1. <clears throat> I'm going to begin in verse number 8, read through verse number 12. <clears throat> 1 Peter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, and that is, that is Christ, though you have not seen him, you love him. <clears throat> Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. God, we just read that angels long to look into our salvation, and we are partakers of it, and so we thank you. We give you praise. Help us to marvel and rejoice in it as, we're, as we see it again through your word this morning. Confront and encourage us where we need it. Use your word In our hearts, may it have free course, help us to be submitted to it, and accept it as it is, the very word of God. I do ask, Lord, that you would help my voice, um, if for no other reason than simply that your word be communicated, so that we can understand and be encouraged um, in this Christmas weekend. We love you. Thank you that you first loved us. Amen. As I was reading this passage, it, uh, it occurred to me that this passage is sort of like watching a, a car coming down the highway way out in front of you, perhaps miles off, where it, it seems like it's pretty slowly approaching because it's so far away. And the, and the car keeps coming, and uh, it's in the distance, but it, it gets closer, and then it whizzes by, and the passing, especially if you're moving too, is instantaneous, fractions of a second, as that thing that you saw approaching for so long just whizzes past. And then if you pay attention to your rearview mirror after that, you can see the same thing happen behind you in that it slowly disappears behind you. But that moment of passing was pretty quick. And how that relates to this passage is this passage talks about the prophets of old, those Old Testament prophets. There was about... 4,000 years from the first promise that there would be a Messiah, that the serpent's head would be crushed, the seed of the woman would come, until Christ came. And for 4,000 years, the prophets anticipated the coming of Jesus Christ. They waited anxiously for him. But then the Messiah arrives in the person of Jesus Christ, born as a baby. People actually see him. like He's real 
tangible. John would say we, we touched him, our hands have handled of the word of life. And these people who saw him, they were real, living, breathing people. They were people who were uh, sometimes weak, particularly in faith. Sometimes they were bold. Sometimes they were self-confident. Sometimes they were just regular, needy people walking this earth with Jesus. Uh, Two weeks ago, Pastor Matt preached about Mary and her response to the Savior and, and she's just a regular Jewish girl suddenly swept up into the most important events in all of history. And, and it was just, it was that concrete and real. Regular people inter- interacting with Jesus Christ. All of it was physical and tangible. And he lives and he dies and he rises and then he ascends. And all of that happens in 33 years out of thousands. 33 years uh, that life of Jesus, it whisks past, and now that was 2,000 years ago. That's way back there. We can't touch Jesus anymore. We can't see him. But that passing, that, that moment of intersection of our world with Jesus Christ, it, it changed everything that took place afterwards. And that's where the illustration of cars passing breaks down because cars passed with little consequence. It doesn't change your life when you pass another car on the highway. But this was a big deal. The coming of Christ changed everything. And in particular, I want us to focus today on the joy that is ours as a result of that intersection of our world with Jesus Christ as we celebrate Christmas. My title today is Joy Inexpressible, and I borrowed it from Peter there in verse number eight, where he says that we have joy inexpressible and filled with glory. As we consider that, that intersection of our world with Jesus Christ, along with those phases of his his approach and then his life and then the millennia since then, we see the response of people who were involved in that. What do they feel or what stirs their hearts as, first of all, the prophets, they wait for the Messiah. This scripture tells us that those prophets, as they waited, that it was with wondering and expectation and careful inquiry, searching out who this would be who would come. This passage describes angels in verse number 12 who observe and look upon the things God is doing and they they look with this longing to look. It says angels long to look into the salvation that is ours. They, They look into it and they watch and they desire and yearn for understanding and to marvel at what Jesus Christ has done. And for those of us who, who live after Christ in that, in that reality that has been changed by the coming of Jesus Christ, how do we live? His, his suffering and his atonement for sin and his resurrection has changed things. And how do we live? And it tells us in verse number uh, eight that we, although we don't see him, we love him. Although we do not now see him, we believe in him, and we rejoice. We love and we believe 
and we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible because of what happened 2,000 years ago. As we focus on joy this morning, I think you would quickly agree that that's an emotion or a, 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 a passion that's tightly associated with Christmas, right? Perhaps one of the, the emotions that is most tightly associated with Christmas. We see it in the songs that we sing, right? Um, joy to the world. We just sang, joy has dawned upon the world. Uh, Come all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Joyful all you nations rise. Uh, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come. It's also something that we see in Scripture. When the angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds, after first of all telling them not to be afraid, he tells them go the other direction. He says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. When Mary was approached by the angel and told that she was to, to bear the Christ, she responds with the, her, her song of, of glorifying God, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit does what? Rejoices in God, my Savior. And the wise men, when they saw the star arrive over Jesus, what did they do? They rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And I think that is a calling, a, even a command that we should respond to in this season, and that is to rejoice in Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at five things from this passage that are reasons for us to rejoice in, in Christ this Christmas. Five things, they come right out of the text. The first one, rejoice that you are a partaker in salvation. Rejoice that you're a partaker in salvation. We could stop there because that's a really big deal. All right, but we have five things. I think all of them probably contribute to that just rejoicing in the fact that we're saved. So just first of all, rejoice that you're a partaker in salvation. Second, rejoice that you love, believe, and rejoice in the unseen Christ. Another reason to rejoice is that the prophets of old searched and served you. Fourthly, rejoice that the apostles' message has reached you. And fifthly, rejoice that the angels are marveling at your Christ. Number one, a reason to rejoice, you are a partaker in salvation. Verses 8 and 9, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, have an outcome to your faith. You believe right now, and it has a a result, it has a fruit that will come to pass because your confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an it's a outcome that we're described as awaiting. It's not completely fulfilled. It's partly fulfilled in that we are now reconciled to Jesus Christ and made right with God and justified such that our standing with God is no longer enemies, but friends and family, even sons of God. But we await the full fruit of it. We await the day when, 
we are present with him and when we have no more sin and when we are, are in, in eternal glory. And so we await this outcome of our faith and we long for it with hopeful joy. Jesus will return. And we're going to come back to joy as a theme repeatedly this morning. But, but for now, just consider the fact, consider the joy that we have because we will be in the presence of Jesus Christ. We will be with him. The outcome of our faith will be fully complete when we are in the presence of our Lord and Savior. And the blessing of that is not just comfort and ease and sinlessness, although all those things are wonderful. The greatest blessing of it is the person of Christ himself, who we will be with, and who we will at that time actually fully love. We love now, but think about how much you'll love Christ when you'll have all those other distractions stripped away from your heart, all those other idols scratched off so that, that we can be truly delighting in him as we ought. So, so our salvation is the, the long-awaited outcome of our faith, and it's also inevitable. We rejoice in this outcome of our faith, this, out, this, this fu- fulfillment of our salvation, with the, with the rejoicing of its certainty. It will most certainly come to pass. Uh, just back a few verses in verse number 5. which we didn't read today, but it obviously leads right into our, our context today. Peter describes saints as those who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The end of our salvation is inevitable. It will most certainly come to pass. But there's one thing we need to be reminded of too, and that is when it says, you obtain the outcome of your faith, <clears throat> which means it's the outcome of, of, of faith, which me, uh, I said which means twice, but uh, that, that creates a distinction. That means I cannot look at all of you and say, you all will most certainly be in eternal glory with Jesus Christ. I cannot say that. All I can say is that those of you whose faith is in Jesus Christ will most certainly obtain the outcome of your salvation, the outcome of your faith. This is not a hope that is inevitable for everyone. It's perhaps not inevitable for you because you haven't yet placed your faith in Jesus Christ. It's not inevitable for much of our world because they have not yet placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So this wonderful outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls, is only applied to those who have faith in Jesus Christ. And again, that, that means there is a distinction. And that also means that there's an appeal to you that if your faith is not in Jesus Christ, do not presume to think that you're okay with God. Don't presume to think that things will work out okay or that you're good enough, or that God is nice and will probably let you into heaven. He is nice, he is is kind, but he demonstrates that kindness not in ignoring your sin and its consequences, but in atoning for that sin in Jesus Christ so that 
when you believe in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven and made right with God and you're accepted into his presence, not as a sinner anymore, but as one who has been washed and made clean by Jesus Christ. So if you do not have faith in Jesus Christ, there is an, an eternal consequence to your heart before God and you responding to his working within you by repenting of your sin and trusting in that Jesus Christ. And that is the only way in which, in which you can say that you do have this inevitable outcome, the salvation of your souls, is if you are a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you are, though, we rejoice in the outcome of our salvation. A second reason for us to rejoice in this season this comes from the same verses we just read, mainly verse number eight. And that is, a reason for us to rejoice is that we love and believe and rejoice in the unseen Christ. There was a time when he was seen for 33 years, but he's ascended into glory and isn't seen anymore. And we're going to cover these three things and slightly uh, out of order, beginning with, with believing. Peter starts with love. We'll get that second. But in the, in the middle of verse number eight, <clears throat> Peter says, Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. That's Christ. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Let me ask you this question. Do you ever rejoice that you believe? <clears throat> I don't just say, do you rejoice because you believe? I'm saying, do you ever rejoice that you believe in the first place? Like, wow, I believe. Thank you, Lord. That's what I mean. Do you rejoice that you believe? You ought to. You remember uh, Thomas who had to touch Jesus' hands and had to touch his side before he believed. And he did, and he was humbled by that. My Lord and my God, he said to Jesus. <clears throat> and Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Yeah, Thomas believed because he saw Jesus. And Jesus goes on, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If you believe in Jesus Christ this morning, and if you think about that and go, you know what? That actually is pretty strange for me to have so much confidence in something that I have never seen. Have so much confidence in a person who I have never looked upon and touched like Thomas did. Then I tell you, you are blessed. You are blessed if you have not seen and have believed. You should rejoice that you do. <clears throat> uh, Paul put it this way in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. 
If you, were, if you are one who's been chosen by God and believed in the truth, the Apostle Paul would say, I thank God for you. Thank God for you. I don't pat you on the back and say, good job for believing. I thank God that you believed. And I would, I would echo that as, as, <clears throat> as insufficient as my uh, heart can be or in, in how... how I fall short in how much love I should have toward other people. I would still echo that, that saints, if you believe in God, I thank God for you. Praise God. And that should be the attitude that we have one another as we look around toward each other. We just partook in the Lord's table, which is a testament that I'm, I'm drinking this because I believe in Christ. I'm one of his. And we, we do that together. We look around the room and we see saints. And we should be thinking, I thank God for you. I rejoice that you Believe. That's joyful. Rejoice that you believe. Secondly, although Peter puts it first, rejoice that you love the unseen Christ. The beginning of verse number eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Christians are people of love. We don't, that doesn't mean that we get love right all of the time or perfect all of the time, but Love is a facet of the fruit of the Spirit that God produces in his people. We love God, and we love others. And Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. So loving the unseen Christ goes hand in hand with believing in the unseen Christ. Peter ties both those things together. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. So if you love Christ, you should rejoice. Similar to being thankful for the fact that you believe, we ought to be thankful for the fact that we love Christ. If anywhere in you is, is love for Christ and you go, I know how I used to love everything but Christ, or how I still feel my heart tugged toward things that aren't of Christ, that are, are, are twisted. And for some reason, I, I, I love those things. And it's because I'm broken on the inside. And yet, because even, and yet, regardless of that whole mess, I know that I do love Jesus Christ. Then that's something you should be thankful for, that you should rejoice in. That love for Christ, insofar as it's real love for him, indicates that you are united with him. Jesus put it this way. He said, If God were your father, you would love me. So is God your father? Do you love Christ? So love for Christ is an indication of our union with him. And on the, the inverse of that, the opposite of that, is that if you don't love Christ... That's an indicator of your alienation from him. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul said, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. He says, Our Lord, come. So if you have love for our Lord Jesus Christ this morning, that's a reason to rejoice. He's been gracious to you. Thirdly, be joyful, rejoice that you do 
rejoice. And maybe I'm going in a circle with that, but think about it with me. At the end of verse number eight, you love and you believe and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This is a rejoicing of faith. This is a rejoicing again in something that is unseen. And these are present realities for the believer. Believers, by God's grace, have this supernatural capacity to love and to believe and to rejoice in what God has done for us. And this rejoicing is something that that Peter here describes as, as particularly special for those of us who live in that world where the car's already zipped by, where the coming of Christ has already happened, and where we we look at him backwards. The prophets waited for 4,000 years. He came. He's, he's been gone, ascended for 2,000 years. But we're not the same as before Christ came. We don't wait the same way that the Old Testament saints did. We wait for some things and not for others. And in our salvation, we rejoice. Rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This is a different sort of joy than sticking up J-O-Y at Christmas time because it's sentimental, all right? And, and joy is often associated with the sentimentality of Christmas, and there's nothing wrong with that. If you get fuzzies at certain things about Christmas, that's just fine. Do the things that give you fuzzies at Christmas time. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, But for the believer, the joy in Jesus Christ, the joy that we see in Christmas is much more profound. Um, It's a joy that can actually transcend those things that might make Christmas seem kind of difficult. Have you ever had a mundane Christmas? Have you ever had a Christmas that the day after you go, wow, that just wasn't that special of a Christmas? It didn't meet expectations. Have you ever had a Christmas that was bitter because everybody else was rejoicing and you were not? Have you ever had a Christmas where on the day it got crushed and it feels like, well, now Christmas is ruined because it's supposed to be warm and fuzzy and happy and reality strikes because the world we live in and it doesn't feel that way anymore. This kind of joy here is more than that sentimentality of Christmas. Like love and like faith, this joy is a gift of God. It's not superficial. It's not delusional. It doesn't deny those harsh realities that come into our lives. Um, the, The joy of Christmas isn't that we got everything ordered so that Christmas felt just right. The joy of Christmas is is that everything was bonkers, the world was dark, and Jesus arrived so he could do something about it. He's the one who sets everything right. He's the light in the darkness. He's the one who conquers death. He's the king who will rule over this world that is currently chaotic. Paul went through many sufferings. He said he was always sorrowful. He said, yet always rejoicing. He wasn't ignoring his pain, 
but he found that Christ gave him joy that transcended it. Rejoicing in Jesus Christ is not supposed to be a secondary byproduct of the Christian faith. It's not a second-tier virtue that maybe if things turn out okay, I'll have, a, have joy in Jesus Christ. It's actually elevated, an elevated virtue in the Christian life. Think about it this way. We often pray things like, Lord, I want to grow in my faith, mature that faith that I have, make it bigger and stronger. Or, or love, Lord, help me to grow in the love that I have for others. But we rarely, <clears throat> we rarely put joy in that same category of importance. We think of it as a thing that maybe will happen along the way. But we would rarely think in terms of, Lord, cause me to rejoice. And yet we're commanded, rejoice evermore. Just like faith and love, joy is something that we're told to pursue in Jesus Christ and something that he supernaturally produces within us. He enables us to delight in that and in him and in that which is most important. And growing in that, maturing in joy, is part of the Christian life, just like maturing in other things. <clears throat> Finding maybe more, more stability in your joy, or coming to grips with what true joy is in contrast to the, those kinds of joys that are more trivial, that's part of growing. It's a process. And we know it's a process because the Apostle Paul he put a lot of effort into other people being happy. And that doesn't mean that he was a people pleaser, but he really wanted them to be happy in what was most important. I want you to go two verses with me because I think it's worth us looking at with a, uh, directly. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-four. In describing the authority he had as an apostle, he says, "Not that we lord it over your faith." So he wasn't coming to dominate with his authority. What's he do instead? He says, but we work with you. What are they working for? Working for your joy. For you stand firm in your faith. As, as the Apostle Paul is going from church to church or writing letters to certain churches around, yes, he wants them to grow in their faith. Yes, he wants them to, to grow in their love toward God and one, and one another. But another one of the things he wants them to do is, I'm, I'm working for you so that you will have joy. I want you to rejoice in the salvation that you have. Parallel to that would be Philippians chapter 1. If you want to look over there, Philippians chapter 1. As Paul is again describing how his life, his physical life, will honor God, whether by living or by dying. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.25, convinced of this, so he's convinced that it's more important that he be here than that God take him away. 
He's, he's convinced that he should stay and serve. And he says, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. This wasn't a secondary residual benefit that Paul hoped some of them got, that they would rejoice in Jesus Christ. He's going, I'm working so you mature and so your joy is right, so your joy is properly placed, so your joy is substantial because it's rooted in hope in Jesus Christ. I'm laboring that you would be joyful. Let's go back to 1 Peter. <clears throat> number three of our five, and number two was the longest, so number three, another reason to rejoice is that the prophets searched and served you. Verse number 10, concerning this salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. I think it's reasonable to assume that the prophets peered expectantly into God's revelation and they searched out his word to see what God intended to do concerning this Messiah because they found joy in it. I don't think they were searching and inquiring diligently because it was dull and they had to do it. I think they searched and inquired diligently because they found some delight in this promise, this distant promise that was going to be fulfilled. They were intrigued by this salvation that would come and they knew it was a person. They were intrigued by this person who would arrive, this person who was described to them as one who would suffer and one who would be glorified. They had some glimpse of that person. Perhaps they found it in Psalm 22 as the sufferings of Christ were described as, as dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me, they have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And perhaps they looked at that and marveled and wondered, what's that mean? Let's search it out. Let's inquire diligently who this person is and what he is like in his sufferings. And as they searched the scriptures, they would have seen not only his sufferings, but his subsequent glories that Christ, that this Messiah would be exalted, that the scepter would not depart from Judah or the ruler's staff from between his feet. Or the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Or Isaiah 9, 6, that great Christmas passage, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end to order it and to establish it and uphold it with justice 
and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And the prophets inquired into these things. They searched it out. They wondered about it. And they lived and they went to the grave. And Peter says, the reason they were doing that is not because they were serving themselves, but you. He speaks to his hearers there in the first century, and he says, those prophets received those things from the Lord and recorded them in God's word as a service to people centuries down the road who would see the incarnate Christ and who would know the blessings of Jesus Christ. And by extension, that's us, right? Those prophets lived and served God to serve us so that we can more deeply know the riches of our Christ. We're the ones who have received those long prophesied blessings that they anticipated. So rejoice in that. Number four, rejoice that the apostles' message has reached you. Verse number 12, speaking of those prophets still, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things they have, that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. <clears throat> those things they expected, now they've been announced. You've heard them. It's been proclaimed to you. You're not ignorant of what Christ has accomplished. It's been announced. It's been preached. It's been good news to you. That little phrase that, that preached the good news, it's all one word. It comes from a, a word based on evangel or evangelism or the good news. It's the good news proclaimed. And it seems to me that the idea with with good news is, is that you can't even say good news without the implication that it's proclaimed. It's not good thing you think about. It's good news. Okay? The good news has been proclaimed to you. The, the apostles wrote it down in the New Testament about what Christ had done. Other saints received it. Faithful men were taught and taught other faithful men. And although you might not know your, fam your, your spiritual family tree very far back, it's there. Somehow the gospel has come all the way down the way to you. Rejoice that you have received that good news. Rejoice that the good news was proclaimed to you. And in turn, we're intended to be part of that family tree of faith, not just as a recipient, but as a branch that splits off further. The good news is intended to be good newsed by you. The evangel, the gospel, is yours to share. It's to be proclaimed in the world around us, to your friends and your neighbors and your family and at every opportunity, so that the family tree of Christianity through the ages can split into more branches as we share and as we multiply the good news to those who are around us. Rejoice that you have heard the good news and step into that lineage of faith. Share it with other people. Number five, fifth reason to rejoice. The angels are marveling 
at your Jesus. <clears throat> Angels are all through the history of, of God's universe. They're often servants and messengers of him. Even that word itself, angels, means messengers. It's what they, they do. They exist to carry out God's will. And they honor him with praise. The, the ones who are in his presence in the throne room of God honor him 24-7 all of the time. They observe the marvelous works that he does. That he, uh, they were present at the foundations of the world. In Job... The question is asked, on what were the earth's bases sunk, or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy, the angels praised God at the foundations of the world. We know that uh, it, it's, it's a familiar part of our Christmas story that the angels are involved. We had like 49 angels up here last week for the kids' nativity scene, right? Because they're, they're prominent in that they're involved in the... In the, the events of Christmas time. <clears throat> They're singing glory to God in the highest. The angels can, can dwell in the very presence of God and, and behold him in his glory. They have to shield their faces because his glory is so great, but they're there. They're aware of it. They see his glory in ways that we haven't yet seen. They've seen the most magnificent person that can possibly exist in, in our God. They praise him for it. And even though they've seen that wonder, they still turn around and see what Jesus did for you and go, wow. You would think they would have already been impressed, but they continue to be amazed at what God has done for you. It says at the, there at the end of verse number 12, that this good news, this salvation, these are things into which the angels long to look. They long to look at the grace of our God that has been shown toward us because it is so great. <clears throat> if you ever wonder if God's love and his, his grace are sufficient, like, is God's grace and love enough? Can it endure? Have I broken it? How vast is his love? Just that there's a, a lot of things you could think about. To, there's a lot of things you could believe to be reassured from Scripture that, yes, his love is enough. But think about this one. The angels are looking at it, and they're blown away. Show us more. Show us more, more how much you, God, love these, these little saints of yours. Whoa! We long to look into it more. Show us more. Your, the, 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 the works and the grace that is shown toward us is so marvelous that they, the angels themselves long to look into these things. Rejoice in that. Rejoice that the angels long to look into something that has been accomplished for you, which means it must be pretty amazing. I enjoyed studying this passage because it's not a normal Christmas passage. It's not Matthew 1 or Luke 2. There's fun little things in it that make it Christmassy, like angels, the coming of Christ, things that, that the passage does put the spotlight on the incarnation of Christ, that time when he suffered before his exaltation. I think the most Christmassy thing about it, if I were to judge 
Christmassy things is Peter's emphasis on joy. That we rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and full of glory. Um, Joy is good. We all want to be joyful. We try to do those things that will make us joyful. There's all these things that happen around Christmas that we expect will be fun and joyful, and we try to do those things and to be associated with all those things, perhaps traditions that, that bring joy, that produce joy. We have all this music that is joyful, that Christmas music. We have all the, the movies that have the happy endings. And again, those things are good. I'm not belittling them. They're, they're fun. Uh, they're a gift. Let me put it even that strongly. They are a gift, so I'm not belittling them at all, those, those, jo- those fun things at Christmas. Um, but along with that search for joy comes the, the letdowns that that doesn't actually fulfill us, that that doesn't actually meet all of our expectations. And as I already said, sometimes the joys of Christmas get twisted into bitternesses and tragedies and sorrows. And I'll bet there's some of you here this morning that feel like Christmas is ruined because life is life and bad things happen. There's sin in this world. and Things are a bummer sometimes. Um, and so those, those sentiments of Christmas can often get... They fall short. So seasonal joys can be good. They can be wonderful blessings. But Peter here points to a joy that is more substantial. He says that it is inexpressible and filled with glory. I was, it's inexpressible, which means even if I want to communicate to you how good his joy is, I can't actually do it. He's got to do it. He's got to help you to understand the joy that is found in knowing God. But we have these pointers, these things, that if we let them settle into our hearts, we'll find joy there. You possess salvation. You are a child of God. You will receive the end of your faith, which is the salvation of your soul. This is something solid. You possess a gift in your union with Jesus Christ that's so marvelous that the prophets anticipated it for thousands of years and the angels have been marveling at it for thousands more and apostles and preachers through the centuries had proclaimed it so that you could receive it. And we can be in awe of what Christ has done for you. There's something substantial there that I hope God does for you, not only in this season, but that is in your life And that is that he matures in you this rejoicing in his goodness, in his blessings, and in his person, that you love Jesus, that you rejoice in Jesus, that if you had nothing else, you could still be happy because you still have Jesus. And he is certain, and he is sure, and he is steady, and he will not fail to bring us to the end of our salvation, the outcome of our faith. Our, our, our union with him will be in his very presence one day. Let's pray. Our God, <coughs> those of us who believe, help us to marvel that we believe. Those of us who love you, help us to be thankful that we love you. And Lord, fill us with joy that is substantial 
consequential, weighty, that can transcends, transcend the cares of this present evil world and we find you to be good. Thank you for this salvation that's so marvelous that prophets and angels are in awe of it. Help us to share it with others as the good news that it is. God, as we go about our day, help us to meditate on these things, meditate on you, particularly as we have these, this holiday that narrows our focus to what you've done for us. Uh, may we not waste Christmas, but may we delight in you and what you've done for us. We thank you, God, that you've loved us so much. Bless holiday travels that are going on, family gatherings. May you be exalted in them all. In Jesus' name, amen.